0: and welcome to episode seven of the 50-foot podcast. Andrew and Kenneth here. Hi. And for this week's episode, we're going to start it with Send It Back. My first Send It Back is going to actually be relating to Soul when we had the discussion last week. And it's more of a clarification. And what I wanted to clarify is that I finally wrote down the name of the characters. So the two (coughs) characters I was mainly talking about were 22 and Joe, where 22 was the soul that was looking to earn her way to essentially becoming born and becoming a human.
1: And for me, I wanted to also make a clarification from last week. I complimented the openings of of WandaVision, and I mentioned how it was also people who wrote songs for Frozen and also Coco. And I just wanted to clarify that I actually, I want to give them credit by name. So the wonderful couple of Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez, thank you for making the WandaVision openings. And also thanks for making, or thanks for writing Lost in the Woods, because that's a great song.
0: Okay, and then my final send it back is actually like a send it back. And it mainly pertains to my misinterpretation of a quote that Vision gives at the end of the final episode. And so during the final episode, when Vision and Wanda are kind of saying their goodbyes, and Vision says a quote, and he says, I have been a voice with no body, a body but not human, and now a memory made real. So in last week's episode, I thought that a body but not human— was talking about his time in the hex as I'm going to call it as Wanda Vision Vision but what it was actually pertaining to was his time as Vision after he was created by Tony Stark and Bruce Banner it turns out that it was technically that's what I misinterpreted was that a body but not human is more of his time as Vision not Wanda Vision Vision but his time as Wanda Vision Vision was during when he says, and now, a memory made real. So that was just something that I had misinterpreted, and I kind of omitted that there was definitely a time after he was technically born that he was Vision, the one that we saw at the end of Infinity Wars, not WandaVision Vision.
1: And now the word Vision means nothing to me anymore, so thank you for that. That's what I was going for. All right, so now that we're six episodes down, heading into the seventh, we realized that some people listening might not understand all the different nuances of sports and team building. And that's okay because I'm claiming no expertise. And honestly, we're just two guys trying to share our love of sports and what we know. Because we may not know everything, but we do know some stuff. So we're going to take these next five episodes as sort of a reset to give context to what we're speaking on and give context of the world of sports, from at least from what we've seen and while individuals, athletes might come and go, some of these themes that we're going to be talking about are things that, that stay consistent regardless of sport or or even time.
0: Yeah. So you could almost call this like our, this first series, we're going to call it our team building series, as in we're going to focus on certain mechanics that teams can use to essentially build out their roster. So for the first episode of this team building series, we wanted to talk about and discuss a team's general situation in terms of where they are along the path to a championship. And to illustrate that, we categorize teams into four different buckets that kind of encapsulate how we feel the path to a championship is. And kind of a mini disclaimer is we understand that there's a lot of nuance between each of these buckets and a lot of teams fall a little bit this way, a little bit that way, some are in between. But we just felt that these kind of four buckets encapsulate the general process and a majority of teams in most leagues. So the four buckets are, and in, in terms of their order to closeness, where the first one is the farthest from a championship to the closest is the first category is tanking. And then we go to up and coming and then middling, and then finally contending. So for the first category of tanking, when people usually hear tanking and they hear it in the general ether, people will assume that tanking means you're intentionally losing. And although that's what it is from the outside, what tanking actually is, is teams are using a mechanic that the leagues have provided them to essentially build out their roster. And that mechanic is called the draft. So what the draft is, is every year when college players feel that they are A, eligible, and B, ready to play in their professional league of whatever sport it is. And we're definitely talking about the big four. So we're talking about... NBA, MLB, NFL, and I guess you could say MLS or NHL, so Big Five, I guess. And so when the player feels that they are ready, they enter a draft pool. And then teams will take turns picking from that draft pool to build out a chunk of their roster. So now I imagine you're asking yourself, who picks first? Like who gets first shot at these great players? And since leagues really want to build out a balanced and fair league, teams that are the worst every year get a higher chance of picking the better players. So to tie it back into tanking, what tanking is, is teams are taking advantage of that mechanism and trying to get as many darts on the dartboard as possible to hopefully pick their next franchise player. Obviously, we don't know how a player would turn out after college, but teams just want to maximize the amount of opportunities that they can get at that. So they're just kind of acquiring more draft assets. The thing is with that, there's a really big con. The con is your team's not very good, like at all. And that means your fans are very unhappy with you because they're just watching a losing product and no one likes to just watch losing all the time. Like, it's just not fun. And that con kind of becomes a challenge for teams because teams then need to be able to still fill the building. They still need to be able to bring fans in and make revenue because some of this is a business, right? So teams need to get more creative with how they, I don't want to say spin, but how they storytell what the journey the team is going through. So the next category we have is up and coming. So with up and coming, it's, it's usually the stage after tanking where a team has a franchise player or they know who their building blocks are and how they want to build their team. So they're, they're on the rise, right? Your, your franchise player is showing some improvements. He's showing that he can handle a lot of the pressures of being the number one player. The con of all that is you have to wait and you have to be patient because a lot of times you find your franchise players really early, like 19 or 20. But they're not, you know, you can see the potential of them becoming the next uh, franchise player. But the part that's difficult is you don't know when they become like that guy, like the top five player or the top person that's ready to lead your team to victory. And that's just something you kind of have to wait it out, which is tough because you might have been waiting a long time while you're tanking too. So teams are just waiting and constantly waiting. So that's generally the biggest con. And it also comes with its challenges because you have to also decide... How you build your team because if you rush it, then you might lose out on the player's potential and he never might ever reach it. But if you take too long, then you get stuck in other categories and takes you too long.
1: And I think that's a good place to kind of put a little stop or a little blockade there because I think one similarity between these two phases of tanking or being up and coming, I think one similarity is that the record probably won't be good, or at least if you're if you're just looking at outcome goals in terms of wins and losses. You're probably not looking at a very good ratio, let's say. And I think to speak to tanking first, you mentioned about how one of the cons is having to deal with potentially angry fans or just having a very negative environment or negative outlook on your organization. But I also want to think or put it this way, think about the players who are playing on those teams. I mean, you've you're playing or you're in a, you're a professional athlete, you want to be at the pinnacle of the league. You wanna win championships, you wanna be the best, but then you're playing on a team that doesn't have those same goals. So I think when you're a younger player, you might be able to wait it out, but what about the veterans on the team or the ones who feel like their windows might be closing? And just how do you think they feel about playing on on these types of teams? So while everyone's uh, well fans, and I'm guilty of this as well, are focused more on, all right. What what does the future look like? Who are we going to who are we going to draft? Think about the players who are currently there right now.
0: Exactly. And and, and to kind of counterpoint what you're saying, right, is it, it definitely is not fun being on a tanking team, especially when you're a veteran. You've made a good amount of money and you want this reputation. But what we're seeing now in some leagues is some players are becoming the the veteran that teaches the young ones, right? That teaches mm, yes. players, and they're like, you know, I'm gonna be. A professional right i'm gonna this is the situation i'm in so what's the best way i can do this yeah maybe i won't be here for the success but i could be that step that mentor that is a building block to the next stage of a player's career or an organization's uh success
1: i think that speaks up or speaks more to the up and coming where the veteran can become that sort of glue guy or especially with younger players teaching them uh not only adjusting to the league in terms of on-court or on ice, or whatever it may be, play. But just how to conduct yourself as a professional, because we've mentioned this many times. But a lot of these younger players, they are just exiting their teens, or they're just exiting college, or even in the case of hockey, I know some of them, they just go from straight to straight from juniors and then potentially get thrown into playing with the big boys. But there's a lot of things that there's a lot of benefits that do come that do come with being an up and coming team.
0: Yeah. And, and another thing with becoming an up and com, up and coming team is one thing you lack is experience, right? You have this right. talent, tremendous talents, but you don't have the experience of being in these moments. So having that veteran on your team that, that helps them, that teaches you those moments, because there's nothing better than experience. You can't really, like, you can tell me things about your experience, but it's not the same thing as when I experience it. If anything, it's one of those, you can experience and then you feel it. And then you're like, you know, This is something he talked about and you hear this a lot in championship when championship speeches, when a team has finally been crowned Mm -hmm. is they'll, they'll bring back a name of a player that isn't even on the team that really helped guide them and helped kind of shape their direction and kind of shape their direction. That doesn't sound right. Help guide (laughs) them and put them on the right path to eventually get to becoming a champion. So the next category we're going to talk about, and we call it the middling category and The best way to describe this category is kind of how we wrote it down. So the way we wrote it down, right, is your pro is your quote unquote winning and you're not losing, but your con is also the fact that you are quote unquote winning, but not losing. But the caveat with that con is when we say quote unquote winning means you're not winning the big one as in the championship, but you're just kind of, you're just winning enough. Right. And when I say it like that, it's kind of like, what's really the pro? because on the one side, you're not bad enough to get a really high draft pick and to continue building your roster, right? So you're kind of in the middle of the draft, but you're not also not winning the championship. So you're kind of in the middle of the standings, right? The biggest pro with that, and this is something that I didn't realize until I started working in the industry, is you kind of forget sometimes when you're a fan and you're watching these sports teams, is there's a business behind this, right? And there, there are some organizations that, and owners, where the goal is only to win a championship, I will do whatever it takes to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Other owners, and let, let, let's be frank here, some of these guys are the wealthiest people we've ever seen on the planet, and they've earned everything on their way. But sometimes some some owners are less—I uh, don't want to say eccentric—or are, are less into the sports part and more into the the business part, right? Because it is a lucrative business. We love sports. Kenneth, and I like the amount of content that people are making about sports. Kind of tells you its popularity. Is that the pro of middling is you're kind of paying the bills, and what I mean by that is fans are coming in the building. You're they're they're here to see not a really bad product, but not like a great product, right? You're just you're just a good product.
1: Your, you're your likely going to see good. a win, like most likely. Say it again. Like you're most likely going to see a win or like at least a good competitive game. So you yeah. Yeah, and like, like don't get me wrong, gonna there, there's gonna
0: be times when you beat a contender, you beat the number one seed, right? You're very in the middle, right? Like you could sway one way or sway the other. So that's kind of the biggest pro is your fans are kind of happy. Um, they're going to games. You're keeping the lights on and you're kind of there, right? And you're always, and, and what it's like in terms of a perspective is you're always that close, right? Like the, the margin between middling and contending can kind of flip flop and switch very quickly. So that's kind of the, the pro of it. The con of it is if your ultimate goal is winning a championship, it's like you said, you're always just close enough you're never you're never gonna get over the mountain like isn't there a saying like always a bridesmaid but never a bride it's kind of like that right you're always you're always the you can taste it ah just kidding you don't get it right so that's kind of the biggest pros and cons of being a middling team
1: and that's the thing you're always at least in terms of being a fan you might always think oh you're one player away you're one coaching change away Like, like there's there's something missing you don't know what it is your team is very good but they're not at championship level, you just don't know what the missing piece is. And I think it speaks to one of the cons. If it is a missing player, what happens if that missing player is someone that you could, that might be in the draft? <laughs> and if you're not bad enough to get that draft pick, or again, depending on how picks are chosen, whether it's lottery or by performance, you might not be able to access those. But then and then you kind of have to put your faith in, in scouting and the other people in the organization who are, well, I don't want to say paid because they're more than just that, but they are paid to find out who are the best players for your organization. Because regardless of where you're drafting, you're you're always looking to improve.
0: Yeah, and and being a middling team sometimes is also really tough because if you're middling for a really long time, your fans can kind of kind of figure out what's going on. Like definitely, sports fans are like very visceral and very emotional people, and you get some of that emotion because they love the sports so much. But I wouldn't classify them as dummies. Right. Like they can read the the paint on the wall. What's the saying? Like painting on the wall? Is it saying writing on the wall? Oh, writing on the wall. Yeah. They can read the, <laughs> oops. They can read the writing on the wall. Right. Watching they, paint dry. <laughs> I guess. I guess sometimes being a middling team is like watching paint dry. Right. Cause you're watching the same thing. Like I'm about to butcher another uh, saying is like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting something different to happen. Right. Yes. That's kind of what middling teams are. You kind of just watch them. And it's like, oh, here they come again. Here comes the playoffs, and then they're just gonna be bad and they're just gonna lose, right? And that's kind of the challenge. Another con of being a middling team, but that's more of a long term con is once your fans catch on, it's like, what are we doing? We do this every year. We're being jaded. Like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing? So that brings us to our final category, which is essentially being a contender. So obviously, the pro of being a contender is you are actually on the cusp of winning it. A lot of this is with the caveat is yes, only one team can win every year, but there's also a select group that is even considered to be able to win it every year. So that's the main pro of being a, win, uh, a contender is you're winning. Fans want to see a winning product. Fans want to see come in and see however many wins, 60, 60 wins in some leagues or 14 wins in some leagues. And that excitement is what gears you up to the playoffs where you know you're going to see even more success. And that only helps you in terms of the business side too, in terms of selling tickets. It drives up your ticket value. Your team is good. Everyone's happy. The con is, and it's kind of hard to see the con because the con isn't an instant kind of con. The con is more of a, to get to that tier that Ken is talking about where you need to get that one last player to become a contender. Sometimes contenders need to get one more. It's, it's like a big arms race. The, mm-hmm. the contender needs to get one more to get above the contenders where they are contender A, like the contender of all contenders, right? To get to those, sometimes teams need to overspend or... Sometimes they need to sacrifice their future. And to break that down, to overspend is a lot of leagues, and we'll definitely be diving this, into this, this financial component a little bit later in future episodes of this series. Is some leagues have a hard salary cap and some leagues have a soft salary cap. So the way the salary caps work is it sets the amount of salary that a team can have on its roster to keep all of the league balanced, kind of like how Thanos likes things balanced. Um, so for example, A hard cap is a a set amount of money that teams can't go over in terms of salary. This is how much you can spend and that's it. And the way this helps teams is it allows teams that are in bigger markets not to overspend on their players and have advantages over a smaller market team just because they make less money. So, and then a south salary cap is this is a line of money that you can't overspend, but if you do overspend, you get penalized on it. So what you'll usually hear that as the luxury tax. And- each league has different luxury tax structures. But the basic concept of a luxury tax is once you go over a certain threshold, you'll get charged a certain percent of that threshold. And that money goes back to the league for the league to redistribute in however it will distribute it. And that's dependent on each league. So that's mainly the biggest con in terms of overspending is entering the luxury tax and paying a lot of money. Because like we said about owners earlier, this is still a business. So I don't think owners like signing $5 million checks that go to nowhere. That's kind of a bad investment, and if I understand investments correctly. And the final thing in terms of sacrificing your future is sometimes to get that one player, you need to sell or sell. You need to trade draft picks, which is your way of refilling, restocking your, your roster. So in a world where you trade all your draft picks, and let's say your team doesn't pan out and your team's really bad, that high draft pick that you just gave up to restock and pick up the next great player goes to another team. So you're left there sitting with your bad team, and you can't do anything about it. And that's usually those are usually the two biggest challenges with being a contender: is balancing your now and your future, and balancing how much am I willing to pay to go for this championship.
1: And so the way that you dis- that we've described it as being these four distinct categories, but the truth is, in reality, you can go from one to the other very quickly, and it's not a linear process. And so I think one one thing I wanted to talk about was to give a more practical current example i've mentioned more than once now that i'm a los angeles kings fan and i feel like their progression since their last stanley cup win in 2014 has been a has been kind of a roller coaster in terms of going from tanking up and coming not quite middling okay so maybe it's more tanking and up and coming uh but they're at a point now where they've got one of the best prospect polls in the league and now that So they've been reloading, they have all these players now, and now they're actually kind of in the playoff hunt. I think as of right now, they're only a couple games out, or uh, the division's pretty close, but they're in the talks of being in the playoff hunt, which is a far cry from where they were a few years ago when they were, well, I'll be honest, they were bad. But the thing is, uh, to what Andrew's speaking about being a business, I think one thing that the Kings organization did well was they were upfront by saying, hey... We're gonna be releasing some guys who have been here for a while. We're gonna be focusing on on future players, and I, I remember Daniel Brinkley being one of the key part, key parts of that. And since then, there have been a lot of a lot of rookies to, or not rookies, but a lot of draft picks to come through the system and inspired change. But I think one of the things that has happened now is they're actually in a position where they are going from tanking to now up and coming and now the discussion is what they do with these prospects do they become buyers or sellers in terms of trades are they just one player away one coaching change away or are they i think the thing is they don't want to be stuck in middling because when you're stuck in middling that sucks like obviously you can't make the jump from up and coming to contending all in one fell swoop but you want to limit your time in that meddling section.
0: Yeah, and and I think one thing to build off of what Kenneth said that you mentioned was when you're in these processes in different stages, sometimes fans just want you to acknowledge what stage you're in. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is they just want the transparency, right? So for example, some teams will kind of be like, yeah, we're totally not tanking. And then they'll make moves that you're just like... <laughs> why? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. And when those moves happen, fans feel very, I don't want to say betrayed is the right word, but they feel like you're trying to like pull a fast one, Mm -hmm. right? And the teams that kind of go through tanking and do it well are teams that get their fans to trust that this is a process where they get their fans to understand that, hey, we understand where we are and we're not that great. Looking at the top, we don't think that with our current roster we're going to do it. So what we're going to do is we're going to blow it up. We're going to go to the bottom and we're going to restart this process all over again. And if you give us your patience and give us your time, you'll be able to get the dividends at the end. But again, for a fan side that takes patience and that takes a lot of effort. But what the fans do get in that situation is transparency in terms of understanding, okay, this is part of the plan. Nothing, nothing to pan about. Yeah. The next couple of years are going to be rough, but hopefully if everyone does their job correctly, we'll get something in the end. And I think, Sometimes the the craziest thing is I've talked to a lot of friends that are fans of teams that are tanking and they're not mad that the team is tanking because like I said, fans aren't dummies. They understand the relative process of these, right? Like the reason people love sports is the emotional connection to it. So they, they've put their time into it. We are making a podcast about it. They, they invest their time. And when you invest your time, you realize what's going on. And the fans that are the most frustrated are the ones where it's like, the team feels so delusional and there's no path. Right. But those organizations that, kind of are transparent and tell the team what's going on or tell their fans what's going on they're like okay this is part of the process we're all going to be in this journey together instead of kind of pulling a fast one
1: i mean that's just human nature i mean no one wants to be surprised you you want to feel comfortable and you want to know what's going on so for sports organizations that are able to do that and i mean it's okay to outright say we're rebuilding. Maybe, maybe don't say tanking because that will obviously send off yes. some alarms. It has and a I'm very sure, negative sure there are connotation. Rules against it. that. <laughs> yeah,
0: there, sure. there are rules against it. But rebuilding is another word you could hear for tanking. We could use that our word too.
1: I mean, as long as I feel I, I I appreciate organizations that are outright saying, "Hey, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do." And it, it may not be a perfect plan, but as long as that plan is there to, and set in motion, where okay. People can follow along. This is where the team is. And this is why the record might not be as well as you want it to be. But there is an angle of sight and there are evaluations going on. I think we just want to be be aware of what's happening.
0: Yeah. And and another thing that I just thought about right now is, yes, we're kind of laying out these four paths, but by no means do teams successfully do these four things. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you can tank and draft the wrong players. So you're still tanking for a long time. And... That's what Kenneth was kind of talking about to tie this all into a bow is that you can do one or the other and you can skip steps sometimes because of trades, you're signing franchise player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is with all of that is in the middle of these steps, teams could just do it wrong. And if they do it wrong, then they lose their job and then you have to start it all over again. And then fans just get mad because it's like, wait, you told us we were tanking and then you picked the wrong player. like. That usually will cost someone their job. So that that's just something we should also... D- I wanted to mention is that sometimes they also mess up the steps in the middle and then you just kind of get stuck in a cycle of nothingness.
1: I mean, yes, it, it's a business, but it's also a business where <laughs> the human element is still there and uh, humans aren't perfect. So makes sense. makes perfect sense that, uh, that that process may not be so smooth for some organizations. All right, so... Now that we've gone through our sports talk, I think it's time to uh, wind down a little bit, put it in park. and just to again, if you're not familiar with the segment, I have a list of different questions. and' just gonna pick a number and then we're just gonna riff on it. So, Andrew, between one and two fifty, what's your number today?
0: Let's go with thirty seven.
1: All right, so thirty seven. What is your favorite season? and why? <laughs> this is a fun one.
0: Um so for me, and Kenneth relates to this we we were both california california guys i was in socal kenneth was in norcal and you know being in in california like my entire life for what 25 to 26 years i always thought my perception of seasons was pretty not existent non existent yeah. because it's literally we were joking around earlier it's literally one season it's nice and then it's santa ana win season which is a very dry wind that comes around randomly at times, and it makes it kind of extra chilly. But when I say chilly, I'm talking about, like, 50s to 60s, right? So I didn't really, I was like, okay, like, this is what it like year-round. I moved down to San Diego, which is even better weather than Orange County. And then I moved to New York and the East Coast, where I learned that seasons are real, and there's more than one. There's actually four. And, man, did I learn that there were four seasons i remember once and like to clarify I've, i know what snow looks like like i've seen it in california i've gone snowboarding and ski before but i've never seen snow when i'm trying to go to work or i'm trying to go to school and that was the next level experience i also never experienced temperatures below 50. so when i experienced you know negative nine i kind of forgot how to dress myself just because it was so cold outside but what i'm getting to with all of this is Yes, I didn't really understand what seasons were until I got to the East Coast. But it, <laughs> man, it definitely made me appreciate seasons so much more. Like when I was in California, the summer is just when it get things get kind of hot. <laughs> now summers are, oh, my God, I can go outside. Or even spring is like, wait, I can go outside. I can do outdoor things. I can put shorts on. Yeah, that, that that's what that felt like. And I remember the funniest part was I remember The first time I was in New York, and I remember looking out the window, and it was really sunny out. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm good to go. Like, I can put on flip-flops. I can wear shorts. I walk outside, and it's like 20 degrees. And I was like, I've just been duped. Like, I've been tricked. This is all a lie. So, ever since I moved to New York, instead of just, like, running outside and looking out the window and telling me what to wear, I have to, like, talk to Google. And I have to, like, hey, what's the weather today? Is there a wind chill? Do I have to get a windproof jacket on? Like. And like that's the thing. I never learned that I never knew there were so many jackets until I moved to <laughs> And it was like, oh, uh, do you want to buy a down jacket? I'm like, what's a down jacket? All of my jackets are down. Like, I don't get it. Um mm-hmm. do you I want to need a winter jacket? What what is a winter jacket? Someone tell me what's going on. So that that little story, a lot of my Columbia classmates I'll remember seeing because I was definitely the one that was like, Why is this so cold? And I remember when I was sitting in class and snow was just falling outside, and I was like, Oh. Well, great. And before I answer your question, one, one story that I just remember, like it always sticks with me. And it's all these cold weather stories. Is we were taking, we had a class and it was, cause all my classes were at night. There was a class where it was snowing and we had a presenter, but for some reason we decided to crack the window open. And like, I'm pretty sure it was like 19 to 20 degrees out. It was really cold or quote unquote cold. California cold is what I'm going to call it. And I'm sitting here and I'm sitting where the window is like pointing. So I'm like in direct line of the draft. Right, and I'm sitting here with like a sweater and a like Columbia thin jacket or something like that, like Columbia the brand, not the school. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one getting the wind. And I'm like, this is so unbearable. So in the middle of the presentation, and this is like a professional that came into, talk- I stay, I straight up stand up, walk to the window, close the window, and walk back and sit down. And it's not like I was <laughs> sitting next to the window; it was on the other side of the classroom. So I'm interrupting the entire class <laughs> to close this window. The funniest part is I sit down, and my professor like. Everyone like the the presenter kind of looks at the professor funny. And the professor's like, he's from California. Just, just let him go. And I was like, yeah, he gets it. He gets what I'm going through, even though he wasn't from California. I was like, see, he gets it. It's cold in here. So that's a long way of essentially saying my favorite season now that I understand that there is four of them. Although I can't name the four right now. I assume it's fall, winter, spring, summer. My yeah, I mean, not like you would know. You're still in California um i would probably say it's spring and the reason it's spring is because you've literally just spent your winter sitting indoors and then it's at this like nice middle period where it's still kind of chilly out like california chilly as in like 40 degrees to 50 degrees but you can still do your outdoor things you're in jeans you're in um it was funny we were going out today today and i was like thinking about my wardrobe and i was like oh like my wardrobe is made for 40 to 50 degree weather and you're kind of in like a jean, you're maybe in a sweatshirt and like a thinner jacket instead of like a big puffy jacket. Um, and you start being able to do things. And I don't really like summer on the East coast cause it's really hot and humid. And that's just, I can't stand it. And my whole spiel with, I rather be cold than hot is because when you're cold, you can add more layers. When you're hot, you can only take off so many layers before you get arrested. Yes. So <laughs> kind of a different set of issues I think there. From
1: experience?
0: <laughs> and not from experience, just from logic and you know, like learning. Um, and then the fall, I like the fall, but fall is kind of like this impending doom. Like you know that winter is coming. Isn't that isn't that a thing in Game of Thrones? Like winter is coming. Is that a is that a thing?
1: Never watch it, but yes, you're right. Okay, I've never watched it either,
0: which might get us scolded. But Yeah. So I'm not big on fall. Like it's cool. There's pumpkins. Leaves are falling. It's cool and all, but spring is definitely my uh, season.
1: Yeah. So I was born in central California. I went to school in Southern California and now I'm in Northern California and I can confirm, uh, it's always shorts weather. I mean the two different seasons are somewhat cold and somewhat warm. And then there's like sprinkling a little bit of rain where all the drivers forget how to drive. Uh, but yeah, so I think the one time I've seen snow in California was what 1999 in Bakersfield. Like, and, and like if you were alive during that time and are from Bakersfield, like you know exactly what day that was. But yeah, like that's pretty much been the only time I've seen snow. Other other times it's just been cold, and miserable. Uh, but yeah, so like you were saying, there's pretty much like two seasons, and on, unless you're in Bakersfield, Bakersfield summers were. To your point, you, you mentioned how you didn't like summer because it was it was hot and humid. For Bakersfield, it was hot, dry, and uh, having the worst air quality in the, in the country. But just living in California, I don't wear hoodies because it's a necessity. I wear them because they're comfy. <laughs> like, I mean, if I really had to, I could just wear a shirt and shorts outside. doesn't matter where in California I am, unless you're like in Big Bear or Tahoe or something. Uh, I can probably just go out and, yeah, just... It's either really nice or really like mildly annoying. <laughs> like, oh, it's it's mildly cold. Too bad I'm wearing my shorts and flip-flops and well, that's why I don't even have flip-flops on me. Uh <laughs> but yeah, in terms of favorite season, I would have to say mine is winter because one, I'm a February baby, so I guess because of that, that helps too. But then for me, I like the idea of adding on layers rather than having to, to your point, having to take off layers. So like, I like the idea of having blankets on me and again, wearing hoodies, not by necessity in California, but because of, because it's just really comfy. And uh, yeah, I'd rather feel really cold and have to add layers than feel really hot and have to like hide inside within the air con running.
0: (laughs) What's funny is when you said that, I was like, yeah, he hasn't lived on the East Coast because almost no one enjoys the winter. Like, like, especially over here yeah (laughs) yeah like over here like snow is just just a hassle it's such a hassle like going out it's like oh you gotta put your boots on you gotta put all this stuff on and it's like i didn't realize how real this was until my friend bought a house and one day i was staying over and i was like oh your sink's running and he's like no i have to leave it on and i'm like why and he's like if you don't your pipes will freeze freeze. and i'm like what like all these like little things like he got a he got heated floors for his bathroom. I never knew I needed that until I moved to the East Coast. Like just the morning. It's so cold. But um yeah, I mean the winter's cool. But it's
1: And that's the thing. Like I don't I don't wanna sound like the like the uninformed Californian who is only living in this bubble and I only know this. I mean, one, let me change my answer to my favorite season is a California winter asterisk. <laughs> but I mean, I think well, one, you, but it's not like I don't have friends who are on the East Coast, Midwest, other countries. I, I, I'm aware other seasons exist. I just haven't lived through them myself is, I guess, what's shaping my perspective. So I just wanted to add in that little caveat. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to this lucky number seven edition of the 50 Foe Podcast. If there are ever any topics that you'd like us to discuss, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at 50 Fod Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Kenneth underscore Ken McClang or kennethkeverkling.com. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio. And we will talk to you next week.